welcome to Being Woman, a podcast where I'll be bringing forward shared stories of womanhood, motivating education on women's health and wellness, and where I hope to inspire women like you to honour your heart, feel alive in your body, and remember your truest potential. I'm your host, Katie Hollihan. I'm a women's and children's naturopath and clinical nutritionist. This podcast and my work is a dedication to improve the lives of women worldwide. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the Being Woman podcast. I am so excited to be back recording for the podcast. There was a little hiatus when my partner and I actually traveled Europe for six weeks and I had all of these beautiful intentions to be recording while I was over there. The podcast was still very new when we left and when we planned the trip. We actually booked the trip only four weeks before leaving. So because the podcast was very new, whilst I had amazing intentions to continue the consistency of recording and putting out episodes whilst we were over there, the honest truth was I did not have enough episodes in the bank to be consistent with that. So instead, I took a bit of a dose of self-compassion and self-understanding and I said, you know what, I'll just pause it and I'll come back when I am ready to consistently share with you again. So here we are, so excited to be back. Really excited for this episode because I really want to speak with just my I am a woman hat on today rather than necessarily a practitioner hat. So usually when I'm sharing on the podcast, I'm educating from the perspective of practitioner knowledge and um, yeah, just an education perspective. But on this topic, I really want to speak candidly into my experience as a woman with hormonal birth control. So that is the topic for today. Actually, it's hormonal birth control and why I will never ever use it ever again and why I will never advocate for it for my daughters in the future. And I think it's important, this one, this is something I really want to unpack because I think that my experience with it and also a lot of women's experiences with the hormonal birth control, um, many different forms of it, whether it be the contraceptive pill, the Inflanon, Marina, but many of their experiences and our experiences as women with this system are really, really reflective of the way that we treat women's health and the standard of care for women's health and the standard of, what would you call it, um, empowerment and self-responsibility advocated for for women at this time in history overall. So I'll unpack that a little bit more, but it is going to be, as I said, a candid episode I don't have any notes down. I don't have any intention to go into the health components in a scientific way in terms of how these hormonal birth controls actually affect our health as women, but more so really want to share a personal perspective as a reflection point and as a philosophical um, a, a philosophical offering on what I think is going on with women's health at the moment and how we can reclaim that and my personal beliefs beliefs on the necessity of women reclaiming a certain standard for our health and our well-being so that being said 
I am just going to start at the beginning and say my own personal journey with birth control was the oral contraceptive pill, which I think is where a lot of young women start. It tends to be the place that a lot of GPs start if um, a young young girl is turning up it in their practice um, above and beyond uh, you know above or above and before I should say things like the implanon and definitely things like the marina um, which are definitely avoided in younger women pre childbirth so yeah for me it was definitely the oral contraceptive pill I didn't personally have any problems whilst taking it that I can recall in terms of really big um, mental health or physical health side effects however I question that in myself straight away, hearing myself say that and think, I wonder how much of what was considered just normal for, say, puberty or normal for that age group and brushed off as being, you know, the unpredictable mental health nature of being a teenager, for example, you know, how much do we just brush over and what would have actually been my truth had I not been on an oral contraceptive pill or a hormonal birth control pill at that time. So I'm not sure about that, but I would say that I didn't have anything stand out or significantly stand out at that time. However, my journey with that did come later when I later actually tried the Implanon. So I will get to that and explaining that. But I was probably around, I think I was close to 16, maybe just under 16 when I first went on the pill. And my story with it at the time and what was definitely offered to me like condition conditioning wise in conversations with my mom and amongst friends at school for me the narrative was very much you want to avoid getting pregnant and so whenever you are ready to start engaging in intimacy with I had a boyfriend at the time who was actually my boyfriend for the entire of my schooling years from sort of the age 13 to 18 so I had been with him at that point for coming on three years and obviously you know at whatever point he and I had decided we were ready to like give this this sex thing a go and the 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 narrative that was always drummed in from my mom which you know love her for that was whenever you're ready the 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 table you know is open for discussion you girls so I had an older have an older sister as well so you girls come and tell me and we will get you on the pill and we'll make sure that it's sorted so that you don't ever get pregnant right and that was certainly also the narrative that a lot of my friends were also hearing and experiencing and that we were all talking about together. It was like, oh, my mum put me on the pill so I don't have to worry. And or my, you know, my doctor put me on the pill or mum took me to the doctors to get put on the pill when she knew that I was starting to be sexually active or I got a boyfriend or whatever it was. So that was it for me. I feel like um, back with my practitioner hat on, these days that age is becoming earlier and earlier and earlier as a result of actually using the pill in younger teens to treat symptoms of, to be honest, puberty. So for young women, when they are first getting their periods, there are a lot of uh, imbalance in hormones, but not in the same way that they would be imbalanced if I now as a 33 year old woman had them, but actually in a really normal way. So for teens, it's very normal, for example, not to be producing adequate progesterone in the first, say, two years of menses starting or having their menstrual cycle start. So periods can be irregular, for example. Um, we can have 
you know, heavier bleeding than what we maybe desire at that age for our young teenage girl to be going through. Maybe we're getting acne, which again can be very common in teenage years. I wouldn't say that acne is normal, but what I would say is it's very common. And instead of getting to the root cause of that, unfortunately, I am seeing more commonly than what I remember in my experience at that age, that young teens are being put on the pill to remedy those things. So I definitely want to get to that as well, but it wasn't my story. So I wasn't put on the pill for one of those reasons. I was definitely, I started the pill because I went to my mum and said, I want to be sexually active with my boyfriend. So at this time, I was given zero information and I'm saying zero with utmost of confidence, like zero information on the health impacts of taking a hormonal birth control or putting synthetic hormones into my body or hormone replacement therapy, because that's essentially what it is. It's, it's synthetic hormone replacement. I was given no information on how that could affect my well-being or my health long-term. I, it wasn't until maybe I was older. I do remember as I got older, we actually had a family history thing pop up with my mum in terms of genetics with blood clotting disorder. And so I remember at that point, my mum being told that both of us girls should either get checked for it or that we should make sure that we are not on any estrogen based um, synthetic hormones, i.e. many of the, the, the hormonal birth control options that are available um, because of the high risk for clotting, blood clotting for us. And so it was only at that point when I was much, much older that I remember ever having a conversation with my doctor that included any side effects of the pill and any of those conversations about genetic risk factors. So only once it had been identified in my family because of my mum's own health scares that were really significant, did that conversation come up. And at that point, I had already spent, and so had my elder sister, many, many years taking the pill. So that's yeah a really scary reflection in itself. But at the time, at 16, I was given no information. I don't remember being questioned at all on, and I could, you know, things could be escaping me, but I really don't remember being questioned at all on taking the pill or my lifestyle or any of my genetic factors at all. Um, I was just given the pill. And actually the narrative that I would say was really common amongst myself and my friends and definitely is still really, really common to hear around the pill now is that you can skip your period. So I remember going long periods of time, skipping my period and actually remember having this general consensus amongst GPs that they would say to women taking the pill, oh, it's because some male in a white coat developed the pill and thought that women just wanted to have a period. So they included the sugar pill, so the, the seven days of the, the placebo sugar pill, um, so that you could have your period still. But there's no, no reason why you need to do that. And you can actually take the pill the entire way through and you can skip your periods if you want to. Now, from again, like pop my practitioner hat back on for just a minute. Potentially, yes, whilst we're on the pill, the necessity to bleed is not high in terms of from a health perspective because it's not a true period. So it's a withdrawal bleed from the synthetic hormones, but it's not a true period. The significance, however, is that 
a true period is very, very, very important to a woman's overall quality of health and longevity of health across her life. So a true period comes because we have ovulated. So because we have had an ovulatory cycle, a fertile cycle, which means that we have produced adequate sex hormones, female sex hormones, such as estrogen and progesterone, which both have health promotive effects for women, particularly estrogen in the way of things like bone density and brain health, for example. So spinning this narrative to young teenagers that it's totally fine for you to just skip your period and it's almost laughable that, hey, some guy must have created the pill and he decided that women really wanted to get their period, but we all know, ha ha ha, women don't want to be burdened with the inconvenience of their period, so you can just skip it. It tells me, it, you know, it, it was selling this narrative to me as a young teenage girl, and I'm sure many of you listening have heard this or had this experience and are nodding away, that my period didn't matter. So that cycling and that my female hormones as a woman or as a young girl heading into womanhood didn't matter and that they weren't important for my health. Huge big red flags for me now as an adult woman and honestly heartbreaking because I look back now and I think if only I knew what the significance of how important those hormones are for my health and for the longevity of things like my fertility that now as a 33 year old woman who has decided to start trying for children later in life than what many children what many women do but has always been very maternal and knew I always wanted to have kids sorry I've lost my train of thought there but for some yeah for somebody who is now in that position I think it's a true crime that I wasn't educated by somebody that was in a position of trust and authority on how important it was to look after my female sex hormone production and ovulate as many times as possible across my life as a woman in order to preserve things like my fertility and my quality of health into my later years moving forward. And so that is being ripped away from many of us women from our teenage years. So we're not educated at all. We're basically sold this lie that until you want to make a baby, those sex hormones aren't important to you and your period is, you know, in some ways a big fat joke and an inconvenience and if you want to skip it, hey, I totally feel you girl, you should just skip it. Really, really dangerous coming from our medical system and coming from, as I said, GPs that this is just my personal experience. I'm not saying that all GPs, you know, feeding this narrative, but for me personally, I feel really let down, which has really sparked some of my passion towards, you know, sharing this episode and speaking candidly with you all about it. I feel really let down that I wasn't given that information. Secondary to that, I feel really let down that my mother wasn't given that information because she was also in a position of trust and authority for me as my mother. And so I'm sure I haven't actually had this conversation with her, but I'd love to now knowing what I know about the pill and the significance of my female hormones as a woman now and the importance of ovulating as many times as I can in a lifetime whether or not she also may feel betrayed in thinking that she was doing a good thing for her teenage daughter, protecting her, for example, from pregnancy um, at an age where that would have been extremely inconvenient and not ideal. 
but not actually being given the information of the impact of that protection on her daughter's future health and whether or not she may have made the same decisions as a mother as what she did back then if she had that information and knew the significance of that. So all of that is just so super interesting. The other narrative I would say that really pops to mind or the other, I keep using the word narrative, but I'm not sure if there's another word for it, but the other kind of general consensus that is given is this feeling of the pill as protection for young girls. So it's really feeding this story that as young women, we need to be on something like the pill or, you know, practicing really safe sex in order to protect ourselves from this unwanted demonized experience you know at that age it's demonized it's not at all to me now of course but you know of ever becoming pregnant at that age and instead of empowering young women to hold a standard when it comes to their engagement with young boys and excuse my um very gender specific discussion at the moment a very like you know it's it's a very binary discussion at the moment because that's my personal story that was my um position at that time and still is so you know yeah excuse that but but for the sake of understanding instead of empowering young women on setting a standard when it comes to engaging in sexual practices and expecting teenage boys or young boys or men in their future life because right what we feed you know young teenage women about their bodies and their self-worth and all of that is what feeds into the, the stories we hold as a woman right so essentially you know it's same same instead of empowering her into expecting honor and reverence and respect we almost feed this narrative of like we'll protect yourself at all costs as if you know, one, she can get pregnant any day of the week, anytime she has sex. So there's a lot of fear element thrown at young women. But also there's a, this very subtle undertone of if you don't protect yourself, no man will. So don't expect them to make sure you're on the pill. And that to me is, again, it's such a true crime. It's so damaging. And instead of prioritizing that both young boys and young girls need to understand how a woman's cycle works, how to understand the 101 of fertility, the birds and the bees, but actually taught properly. We instead are drumming this into young women. It's just sort of, you know, the second that you want to have sex, you make sure you come to me and you get on the pill. And there's no self-empowerment in it at all. It's almost like avoid everything there is to need to know about your cycle and how it actually works and just for heaven's sake, protect yourself, you know? So I don't know if I've explained that in a really um, cohesive way, but I think that you'll be listening, nodding away and understanding, and you'll also have your own experience to really add to this and to pull into what I'm saying that I'm hoping will get all of us women who are listening really thinking about this, and particularly those of us who are mums of young girls or mums of teenagers who may be getting ready to go through this journey with them. Because I can also imagine that if you are a mum of, say, a prepubescent young girl or an early pubescent um, young teenage girl, that it's also pretty scary for us as women, right, to think that potentially our teenage daughter at 14 or 15 could get pregnant. And so I think there's a whole layer to process emotionally with that as well. 
But I think that also comes from what your personal perspective is and the conditioning that you were given on how self-empowered you are and how much self-worth and self-reverence and self-honor you have and how much reverence you expect from the world and the medical system and the men that you engage with or those that you engage in sexual acts with for the female body and the female physiology. So what stories do you hold? What conditioning do you hold? And so again, I can only share from my own experience, but I do know in myself that, you know, even when I have a teenage daughter to guide in the future, that my fear of her becoming pregnant will be a lot less than my fear of her not being empowered around her menstrual cycle and having the information she needs to claim full body autonomy and full body health. I am never going to make my teen girl a victim to not knowing how her cycle works and therefore not taking responsibility, even though it's a huge responsibility, but that responsibility of expecting absolute reverence and honor with the people that she engages with in terms of sexual engagement. And to me, if you're not in a position where you're mature enough to take on that responsibility and have the utmost respect and reverence for that, then potentially you're not at at an age where we should be engaging in intercourse. And that'll definitely be the conversation I have with my daughters. Now, some of you who are already mums of teen girls might be thinking that's a little little naive of me, but I would say that um, I've got quite a strong conviction about that given what I now see, which is a whole heap of us 30 and 40 year old women who, you know, or or from 25 up women who all of a sudden are now in a different phase of our life where previously things like fertility were not of of significance to us or our long-term health was not of significance to us, i.e. when we were 16 or 15 sitting in the doctor's office, just being petrified, getting pregnant and wanting to go on the pill for convenience. But now that we actually have had that experience where sitting there as 30 year old women going, well, you know, Katie, this is in, you know, in consults, Katie, I've, I've got PCOS, I've got severe anxiety, I have iron deficiency from really heavy periods. It took me five years to conceive my first child and now I'm on a fertility journey trying to, you know, invite my second child into our lives. And they're crying saying, I never knew these things about birth control. I never knew these things about being on the pill for this period of time. Um, I never knew that my symptoms were all going to come back when I went back off the pill and I was never informed of what nutrients I should take to support myself while taking this medication and I feel really let down and now where the heck do I start and you know on top of that a lot of these women a lot of you a lot of us don't actually even have that information of knowing how to check say that you are ovulating in your menstrual cycle How do I know if I'm actually fertile? How do I know if I'm actually producing enough of these delicious sex hormones that I need for such quality of health as a woman? Because none of that was taught to us. And it was so easy to, you know, well, to to make out like it was so safe and so normal for us all to be on these hormonal birth controls and really, I guess, like bypass having any responsibility or empowerment given to women or education given to women about how their body actually works and the long-term effects of that so in a lot of ways you know to sum up that little piece you know the third aspect to this conversation is who is responsible for 
holding space for these teenagers. And this is where I say, I, I, you know, you might be thinking I'm a little naive with how I would approach it for my teenage daughter. Um, and that I maybe, you know, yeah, that, that I would prioritize, you know, her being off the pill rather than on it, despite the fear of things like pregnancy. But it really comes from a place in me of, well, who has the responsibility to ensure that whilst at a time my 15-year-old daughter may not be prioritizing her fertility, that somebody ought to hold that space for her because as a 30-year-old woman, she's really going to want that fertility to be quality and as extended as possible to give her as many options in life as possible as a woman. And whose responsibility is, is it to hold space for that for her? Is she actually emotionally responsible enough to make that decision at 15 for how being on a hormonal contraceptive pill for the next 10 years may affect her quality of health, fertility and female reproductive health in terms of symptoms like severe PMS symptoms or heavy bleeding or hormonal imbalances or post-pill acne, for example, that she then may suffer at 25 when she finally gets off the pill. Who is holding that space for our teenage daughters when we decide to write the script? Whose responsibility is that? And I don't, I don't know. You know, this is all just, as I said, very candid, a very candid chat about, about this. I would say that, you know, that aspect there, that third aspect I've brought up, is a really, really big extended reflection if we kind of blow the balloon out on that as to how women's health is being dealt with in general as a population, as a society. So I think, you know, it's really cool that women have access to things like the contraceptive pill in terms of the control it gives us over not getting pregnant. So historically, you know, it was a big breakthrough for women in terms of like the feminist movement and being able to commit, say, into the workforce and, you know, do, do all the things as women without worrying about, you know, continually getting pregnant, et cetera, et cetera. But I really, really question why we couldn't just be educating women on, well, first thing, two things. One, why we couldn't really be educating women on how to avoid pregnancy without using these medications, because it's entirely possible in terms of really understanding our cycle as women. And two, how did the pill, which you know, was such a breakthrough at that time, always seen as such a breakthrough. I don't believe it was, but it was seen as such a breakthrough for women's empowerment. How did that now become the thing that actually to me represents the most disempowered version of caring for women's health that I think currently exists in our medical system? So to break that down further, what do I mean by that? Instead of a doctor or an OBGYN or anyone, like there's so, there's so many health providers who prescribe the pill or discuss going on the pill, we do it to each other as women as well, even as unqualified, you know, just general population, we do it to each other, we normalize going on the pill to blanket symptoms. But when did the pill become an a scapegoat for actually spending the time to have a woman's quality of health be optimized and have any symptom that she's experiencing be explored thoroughly. So for example, why are our 15 year old daughters now going to the GP for something like acne or something like heavy periods 
And instead of the GP running some basic bloods for them and testing things like their iron, their zinc, and what their hormones are doing, and you know, talking to them about stress reduction and sugar reduction and how they can manage that from a lifestyle perspective. So very much giving them a, a sense of power and responsibility and empowerment over their health through education. Instead, we're writing that off and basically assuming that none of that is important to that young girl and that the, the easiest thing to do is just put her on a hormonal contraceptive, very uninformed, at an age where, as I mentioned, she can't, possibly can't um, forward think enough to know how much things like her quality of health and her fertility are going to matter to her in 15 years time or in 10 years time. And yeah, we're setting this standard that instead of investigating her health for her and supporting her from a nutrient perspective, a total you know, exploration of why these symptoms are coming up for her, we're just prescribing the pill. And to me, that's, you know, it's, it's huge. That's not feminist empowerment at all. That's not empowering. That's disempowering. That's taking women's health away from them and, and setting this standard that women's, women's access to quality of health long-term doesn't matter unless they're in a position where they're ready to have a baby. And then we'll worry about it then, you know? And I say worry about it then almost in, it's quotation marks because I've heard so many GPs say that and I've had heard so many clients say that to me as a direct quote of what they've been told at their doctor's office. You know, worry about it when you're ready to have babies. The What's the cure for endometriosis these days? It's not to investigate autoimmune pathology or inflammatory markers or the IBS that's been going on for five years before that. It's just, we'll just put you on the pill and come back and see us when you want to have a baby. What a stitch up. <laughs> to tell you this episode was going to be very candid. But, you know, for me, that's a real disempowerment and non-feminist move away from women's rights to actually access our health. And what it is, is it's a huge reflection of a society that has tied up women's worth in being able to maintain this standard of hustle and this standard of being an equal contributor to the population and the, and the home in terms of like career and earning money and doing all of the things as well as tending to the home and raising babies. And what actually women I think are really being called up to at the moment is to acknowledge how important the role of being a home tender or a homemaker and raising babies is. And that we need to reclaim back our role, our tradition, some of our traditional roles, which I know can feel a little bit triggering and controversial to a lot of women, but actually reclaim back some of those traditional roles in the household for the significance that they, that they warrant and stop convincing women that we need to do things like shut off our fertility, shut off inconvenient heavy periods or shut off inconvenient symptoms um, or shut off our fertility in terms of like, you know, avoiding any extra pregnancies or avoiding having to say, track your cycle and the effort that it might take some women to actually, you know, seek out a regular cycle, care about their health in a way that, you know, helps promote a healthy, regular menstrual cycle. Look at all the issues that may be contributing from a perspective of rush and busyness and stress and, you know, lack of nutrients and endocrine disruptors in the home. And instead of having to do all of that, 
just give her the pill, send her on her way and send her back out into that busyness and don't educate her at all on the, the significance of that and the effect of that long term for her health. And I think, you know, we're being done a real disservice. There's two elements to that. One is like there's responsibility on both parts. I think there's responsibility on us as women to really be looking at our own lives and lifestyles and the way that we show up and the way that we tap into convenience for our lives and reflect on how convenient that's going to actually be in 10 to 15 years time when these symptoms are still biting you on the bum or your teenage daughter is going through the same health history that you have as a woman because nobody stepped in to heal it and nobody stepped in to get that information and put in you know respectfully and so so lovingly because I've journeyed this myself you know so I don't say this in a way that is um filled with expectation that it's easy not at all it's hard but it's so hard because we weren't educated when we were 14 and 15 or 13 and 12 and so we're reclaiming women are going through this big reclamation and that is hard you know it's hard because so many of us have irregular cycles so when you hear me say do the work to get a regular cycle it feels so out of reach but it's what should have been normal for us had that not been stolen from us through years of this bypassing a woman's need to understand it all and right to be educated on the way that her body works so there's that you know side of the responsibility but then i also think there's a responsibility in terms of like big industry the medical industry and also capitalist society and the way that we're living and some of that can't be helped, you know, so some, some of that is a very real perspective that yes, women are in the workforce and some of us really enjoy being in the workforce, you know, I'm, you know, very, very motivated in my business as well. And, you know, I'll never not have my business and not work, even though I'm, you know, really want to step into that motherhood role. So for sure, there's, there's some elements of that that aren't going to change, but I think that we can bring back you know, some reverence for those traditional roles and slowing down as women and not feeling so much so that we need to people please society and really be everything to everyone um, if our health is suffering for it and that we don't, that we really take a good hard look at things like the money that are being made, that is being made, um, the profits that are being made of things like the hormonal birth control and doctor's visits and things if our health is still suffering as a result of that. So I, I think that there's things to look on on each side. And I think, you know, if you've been taking the hormonal birth control or you've been using something like the Implanon or the Marina or what have you as a convenience, but you know that in 10 years time or five years time when you come off that, you're going to have to deal with a whole heap of symptoms. It's, um, it's like that meme, what's that? quote that's sort of like if you think um you're caring about your health is expensive now try caring about try i'm not really sure what the quote is but it's something like try paying for the illness you know later so i think yeah there's responsibility on both sides definitely i think that you know big pharma profits and the medical industry and um you know there's some responsibility there also in the doctor's office as well to really be educating women and talking about the significance of what some of these medications do for women and our quality of health long-term. There's some responsibility on our schooling systems in the sense of like what our sex ed classes are like and the fact that, you know, many of those birds and bees aren't taught properly and actually in the way that they should be, um, you know, in the factual way that they should be about, you know, simple facts like women can only get pregnant for sort of 
anywhere from four to eight days of the month. Like we're not actually able to you know, get pregnant just any day of the month. There are certain windows in our cycle and a lot of young teenagers are not taught that because of this fear of you know, not wanting them to get pregnant. So their self-responsibility, they're made a victim straight away of you wouldn't be mature enough to handle this responsibility. And then it sets us up as women to hold that narrative for a very, very long time. So yeah, lots that I have to say on this. And as I said, hopefully it's been semi-coherent because I haven't prepped any notes and I've just kind of really free-flowed on sharing, I guess, my opinion and some considerations and just things that I've been thinking about as a woman in general and also as a practitioner for sure in terms of you know this is the experience that I've I've been having told to me in story from my clients and definitely from like you know my girls in the being woman program you know, really really a lot of the women that I speak to and a lot of our conversations together on social media even among many of you listeners you know, very much follow this narrative of I wish I knew. And so these, this candid chat, this, you know, semi-messy candid chat is very much just to put out an opinion piece and a philosophical piece on what this whole, you know, experience of having access to things like the birth control pill, what that reflects for women in general in terms of the reclamation and our rights to full total body health and whose responsibility that is. You know, how can we pick up some, some of that responsibility ourselves? How can we pick up some of that responsibility as mothers of teenage daughters? And how can we also put some of that responsibility back on some of the industry and the systems that we've engaged with as women, including socialist movements and things like feminism and the capitalist, capitalist societies that we live in, in terms of supporting women's health and understanding fertility and reverence for women as you know, childbearers and homemakers and things as well. So, and I mean, that could be a whole podcast on its own because I do know that it's very controversial because, um, you know, women do want to have, yeah, all the things. We want to have the money, we want to have the businesses, we want to have the, the high-end jobs, all of those things. And we definitely are so capable of holding it all as women. But I think some things fall by the wayside that we'd rather not talk about. And I think it's time we start talking about it. So just because we can adapt doesn't mean that we're thriving under those circumstances. And we've really got to, I think, you know, lift the veil on some of our opinions that, you know, you know, just mothering or just being a stay at home mom isn't enough. And it's like, where did we lose worth in that as women? Where, where did we, where along the line did we start to think that unless we had this corporate career and we were showing up for everyone and doing all the things and making all the money and all of these things that were actually putting a lot of stress on women's bodies. And I'm making huge generalizations here. I understand that very big generalizations. Some of you are thriving and doing all those things, which is amazing. But I just think this is a general consensus. You know, I'm seeing a lot of worn out, burnt out, overwhelmed women who are needing to return to work at three months postpartum. And then instead of getting the support that they need for that, the exploration of, you know, nutrient deficiencies. And as I said, the right to access investigative health care, we are being thrown antidepressants and hormonal contraceptives to just deal with the inconveniences of being a stressed out woman who doesn't have time for another baby um, and doesn't have time to be anxious. So it's, as I said, and my overall thing is just that it seems such a disservice to us as women. And I actually reached out to you guys on social media and I put up a few question boxes a couple of times on some of your experiences with the pill. And, 
your experiences and your stories really, really mimicked, um, you know, really, really mimicked my opinion and my experience as well. Um, something I hadn't gone into actually now that I'm on this conversation role, but I said that I would at the start was my experience with the Implanon. So just briefly, I did actually go off the contraceptive pill when I was out of a relationship for a little while in my early twenties. And then I met someone and started a relationship with him. And I actually, rather than going back on the pill, I, for some reason ended up on the Implanon and I'm not sure how that came about to be honest for memory's sake. Um, but very, very quickly within a week, within a week, I spiraled into complete anxiety to the point of getting cardiovascular symptoms where I was getting heart palpitations, tingling in my arms and fingers. I couldn't walk to the end of my driveway at the time I was living on an acreage and the driveway was probably, you know, 750 meters. It was a really long driveway through bush and I couldn't even walk out the driveway without getting heart palpitations to go for a walk with my dogs and I went back to the GP three times in one week and I was like something is wrong with me and they ran they did actually run blood tests and he was going to do a stress test and everything on my heart thinking it was all you know cardiovascular you know or something had gone wrong and the only thing they found at the time was slightly low b12 and he said oh, i'll give you some b12 injections just because some of the neurological symptoms like the tingling in my fingers and the heart palpitations could be b12 related um and then he actually eventually said to me you know maybe it's just anxiety would you consider trying a psychologist and also going on an antidepressant and I was really, you know, my, my alarm bells went off and I was like, oh no, like I don't want to do that. I didn't feel like this before and I felt like I really wasn't being heard. I was like, I didn't feel like this two weeks ago. You know, this has just come out of the blue. And I actually started to do my own research. So this was pre-naturopathic study. And I started to do my own research and I found a heap of stories on women spiraling mental health wise with the Implanon. And I rushed back to my doctor and I said, you have to take it out like this day. And I remember him saying, no, 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 it wouldn't be that. It wouldn't have happened that quick. And, you know, you've only had it in for, it was like six days or something. You like, it, it can't have happened that quick. It wouldn't be that, you know, I really think it's just generalized anxiety. And I demanded that he took it out. I was like, no, I, I remember I was in tears. I was like, no, you just have to take it out. And he was still having this conversation of, with me of, well, what will you do for birth control? So it was as if I couldn't make this decision for my health and my well-being with my intuition and with my inner knowing without him still thinking, oh, someone needs to be responsible for her not getting pregnant, which, you know, it's just, it's so, so interesting. This is the same thing that a lot of women tell me straight after. So they go for their six week checkup after having a baby. And the first conversation is what birth control are you going to use? So there's this real like parentification happening in our GP's office. Again, like taking that responsibility and empowerment away from us as women. And it's something that starts when we're very, very young and it's something to definitely reclaim. Anyway, long story short about that, I got the implant out. Within three days, I was a new person. Well, I wasn't a new person. I was the person I was before the Implanon. And, you know, so that was my second experience with hormonal birth control. And um, as I said at the start with the pill, I don't remember ever getting, you know, those physical symptoms as such. Um, but I definitely do when I tried the Implanon. And that was just my personal experience. You know, of course, other people may be on it and may not be experiencing that at all, but it was definitely my experience. 
And when I reached out to you guys on social media, those sorts of stories were big ones. So it was really, really common that I was getting stories of, you know, I was on the pill and I was a psychopath and my family didn't know what was wrong with me and my partner was going to leave me. And, you know, I ended up, you know, yeah, thinking that my mental health was crashing and it was all the hormonal birth control that I was on. And once I went off it, I felt so much better and the fog cleared and I didn't have brain fog and I didn't realize you could have all of these feelings and not crash and plummet in the way that I did when I was on it and just so many stories like that so if that's you you know you're not alone and I hear you and on that note I would love to hear from you so if you've had an experience with hormonal birth control either positive or negative and also your experience and your well not experience but your philosophy I'd love to hear some personal philosophies on what you think about you know, the use of the pill and the availability of the pill for women or just hormonal birth control in general, particularly along that narrative of what I mentioned in terms of the perceived, I see it as perceived empowerment that it's given women in terms of our access to things like running a career and all of those things without worrying about getting pregnant, for example, and, you know, that real feminist movement. But then also, you know, what is your reflection on the perspective that I shared that I actually feel like it's been the ultimate non-feminist you know like defeminizing um experiment i feel on women that there ever was so yeah i'd love to hear your opinions i really would love to open this space so if you listen to this episode please feel free to take a screenshot share on social media tag me amazing for more women to hear this and be able to share their stories please feel free to share your stories with me in, in dms on social media or you can always send me an email to info so i excuse me, I-N-F-O at katieholohan.com. And yeah, just put in the subject line podcast, um, yeah, podcast listener or um, podcast feedback. And I'd love, I'd so love to hear your stories. And if I have your permission, if you want to offer your permission, I'd love to share them on social media and, you know, potentially in the future, even get some women on things like the podcast to talk about this more. I will also earmark doing a podcast episode on the contraceptive pill from the perspective of my practitioner hat in terms of the nutrient depletion and the things that we can do to support ourselves if we do choose in an informed way to take something like the pill or use hormonal birth control and also the things that we should look out for in terms of supporting ourselves either going on it or coming off it because I think that that would be a highly sought after episode and something that many women would love to hear as well, because I know many of you are not quite ready for your own personal reasons, or you choose to still use the, the pills, so you're not quite ready to be off it or do natural fertility tracking. Um, there's all sorts of nuances to this conversation. So the whole conversation is offered with just, just you know, the utmost of respect for women and the position that we're in and the individuality to that as well. So I definitely respect you wherever you're at. And as I said, that's why I'd love to hear your stories. And this one is definitely offered just as mine and my personal opinion rather than necessarily my practitioner hat as such. I'm going to leave it there and I'm sure I'll be having many conversations with many of you in the coming days after listening to the episode. Sending you all love and health and wellness I'll catch up with you again next week. If you're looking for support for your well-being as a woman, you can head to my website for more information about joining me inside the Being Woman program. The Being Woman podcast 
is not intended to be medical advice, so please consult your practitioner before making any changes to your own health. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so appreciative of you taking a small amount of time to rate and review the podcast and to share this episode to your own community or social network. 